So I don't know if this will be our last night or not. It may be, it may not be. We'll just, I haven't been like, I got to rush through this. I got to rush through this. And so um, I have such a hyper personality. I enjoy slowing down. And especially on Wednesday night, kind of more chilled. But we're, we're just basically walking through three primary passages in the New Testament that look at, um, that speak into this dilemma that we seem to, it's never ending in the churches as far as, women's role in the church and specifically we're looking at women in role in the assembly and it's not a unique discussion to our churches it's it's in our community there's a lot I don't think there's hardly a day that goes by or at least a week that goes by there's not an article that I read in the paper about something about gender discrimination and issues about that we have we have already looked at first uh, Corinthians 11 and 1 Corinthians 14. I'm not going to speak about those because I always review so much. I don't give time for the text that we have picked out at a particular night. But one thing I will mention, and I mentioned before, is, is it's extremely important that when we look at, and we're going to be looking again at 1 Timothy. This will be, our, I think, our third time to look at 1 Timothy. Um, that it, Paul, I don't think in any of these letters that we read in the New Testament, never said, you know, not much to do. I think I'll send a letter to the church in Ephesus. We know that Paul left Timothy in Ephesus to serve there and work and develop the church as a, as a young minister, a young evangelist. In every situation in these letters, there was an occasion that prompted the writing. In every situation in these letters, there was something going on that didn't prompt Paul, but it prompted the Holy Spirit, who then prompted Paul to write the letters. And so, you, you, it's really important to try to figure out, okay, what, what was the problem he was addressing? Because if you figure that out, all of a sudden, you read a letter and go, oh, that makes total sense. He's saying this because this was the problem. And so, um, and, and as I've said to you before, it's, it's important before we ask for us, what does it mean we really want to ask, what did it, what did it mean, uh, what it meant? It's a mistake for us to make these Bible passages say for us what they didn't originally uh, intend to mean for the original recipients. What it mean for them, then how is that relevant to us? And that's extremely important because, as I've shared with you earlier in this series, uh, we didn't meet last week, did we? That's right. Was it last week we didn't meet? Yeah. Or the week before? It was last week. Yeah. Um, as I mentioned to you before, the mistake we make often with biblical interpretation, and I, I personally believe the mistake we've made with this passage in 1 Corinthians, where we've developed restrictions on women, and here in 1 Timothy, the mistake that has been made is you pull it out of its context, you look at it alone, and it's really cut and dry what women are not to do and are to do but then you put it in its context and, oh wait a minute then you better understand it um, and so that's what we're doing that's what we did in 1 Corinthians 11 that's what we did in 1 Corinthians 14 and that's what we're doing in 1 Timothy 2 and we started out the first lesson here in 1 Timothy um, we went straight to our problematic passage that we're trying to figure out 
We zoomed in and then, then we zoomed out. And we went to chapter 2, verse 11, where it says, A woman should learn in quietness. That's a word we want to remember. In full submission, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over man. She must be silent. That word quietness and silent is the same word. It's just translated differently there. And so we said, okay, what does that mean? And, 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 and at first you might think, well, why would you ask what does that mean? It's clear what it means. No, it's not clear. We think silent means don't speak or quiet means don't speak. But it's kind of like asking, remember I told you, what does the word run mean? Well, that's clear. No, it's not. Remember, I talked to you about that. If I'm talking about pantyhose, or I'm talking about a nose, or a refrigerator, or legs, or a political race, what's the context? Then we better understand what run means. And so silent actually has, this word, Greek word that's used here, has multiple meanings, all very similar. Um, but what's quite interesting, the majority of the time where this word is found anywhere else in the Bible it's never used for don't speak it's translated from Greek into English according to its context um, to have different meanings and so we looked at that it can mean to be quiet to be peaceful to be settled down to be a person of rest to have a peaceful spirit to be contrite um, to be gentle and quiet. And it also can mean not to speak, but you just got to determine what does it mean according to the context. And so that is the dictionary meaning of that word. And then we looked in the Old Testament, Septuagint in this case, because that's the Greek word, New Testament. So we looked at its usage, which is fair, I think, because that was translated 200 and something years before Christ, and they were using that in the first century time. And so that's a, that's a valid comparison. That word in the Old Testament, that word in the New Testament, and how it was used. And most of the times it was used in being quiet and being peaceful, being a person of a contrite spirit um, and tranquil. Almost never is it used, don't say anything. But that's how we've translated that word. And it makes sense to translate that word if you look at that verse by itself. So, the big question is, with the book of Run, what's the context? And I know what that word means. And so, the big question with the, with the word silent, what's the context? Okay, does that make sense? And so, then we zoomed out, and we took a peek, we took a look. And, and I love, we're just, really, it was a lesson on First Timothy. Nothing more than just, what, what is First Timothy about? And so, what you do is you read all the letter, six chapters here, and... Um, yeah, six chapters, I thought so. And, and, and you don't look for, you look for historical clues that lead you to, so that's what we did. I, I pointed you to some historical clues. We read those and we, we said, okay, this must have been going on in the church in Ephesus. This is where Timothy was. This must have been going on. This must have been going on because he's identifying all those things. And so when you read those first six, those six chapters in First Timothy, you conclude the church in Ephesus was in serious trouble. It was a huge mess. Um, there was uh, division. There were quarrels. There were, there were men and women who were spreading heresy and false teaching. They were causing trouble. There were in... in uh, Chapter 5, we notice there were widows, young widows, who, um, because they were widows and didn't have children, evidently, they, 
they just had a lot of idle time. And so they, they became, Paul calls them, busybodies. And they, they were spreading things uh, to other church members that they shouldn't say. And there were women that were teaching things that they had no clue what they were teaching, which is, which is sadly very likely because they were a lot as educated as the men in this, in this time. And so they were talking nonsense. They were spreading slander. They were saying things they ought not to say. There, uh, there was teaching by men and women in an arrogant attitude, causing controversies, disputes. And it was leading people astray. People were, leave, were being led away from the faith, Paul says. Um, and the church was losing sight. Paul's constantly saying, Timothy, stay focused. Stay on your mission. Don't let this distract you. It was distracting the Christians. And they were caught up in all these controversies. And the mission of making disciples had become lost in this church. Now, and what's quite frightening is it wasn't just the people and their badness or whatever that was causing this. But he says in chapter 4, a very frightening passage, there were evil demonic spirits that were at work among the members of the church. Satan and his forces were and are at work in the church using people to destroy the church. That's what we see here. Even these widows we noticed in chapter 5 had fallen prey to Satan. So he was active. And that's, that's frightening to think that that I could be an instrument of Satan to hurt the church even though I think that I'm, I'm doing just the opposite. So that's the larger historical context of the, of, of, uh, the church in Ephesus. And no wonder God said we need to say something, we need to do something. And so Paul, inspired by the Spirit, writes First Timothy to address these problems. Okay, so then we move into chapter 2. Remember, our problematic passage about women is in chapter 2. And so we're just now doing a, a Bible study of, of 1 Timothy chapter 2. Um, I decided rather than just jumping straight to the woman passage, let's just, let's just look at the passages that lead up to it. You always want to pay attention to what's called flow of thought flow of thought and so it's kind of like a river that's flowing you, these things are being said is so that this is what's being said we're trying to figure out but I better understand this if I understand the flow of thought leading up to it and the flow of thought leading away from it so we want to look at both of those um, and so as we were looking at what leads up to it Paul says in in chapter 2 he says I urge you then he says because of this mess in the church let me speak into that and so we had, I really enjoyed the study a couple of weeks ago. The first thing we noticed in the first, um, the first eight verses is he just calls the church to prayer. He says, we all need to be praying. And, he, and, he, and, he's, and we talked about this and the importance of prayer and how he says prayer um, helps lead us to, to live peaceful and quiet lives. It was not peaceful and quiet. Okay. And that word quiet. I, I'm almost certain. That's the same word for women need to be quiet later. It is. I'm about 98% certain. So if somebody gets out their Greek Bible and proves me wrong. Then I've got two percentage. That I may be wrong here. Peaceful and quiet lives. He, it doesn't say let's pray so that we never talk. He says let's pray. Because something about prayer creates a peaceful 
quietness to our lives and a peace and a quietness to the church, it's much more difficult for me and Mike to be disputing with one another in ungodly ways when we're praying together. There's something about when God's people join together in prayer that leads to that. And so this is the theme, peacefulness, okay? So he says, but you need to focus on prayer. I want everyone praying. And he's not only saying it's crazy, not for the problems in the church, but for the world around us. Um, so he's, one of the ways to solve the internal problems in the church is keep your focus on your external mission through praying for those around you. And he also says, pray so that you keep focused on the mission, when we're praying and looking to God, that's getting our eyes above all the problems and focused on what we're supposed to be doing. So uh, sadly, we see that churches get so caught up in all of the very various controversies that they're not teaching and baptizing people. They're not evangelizing and sharing the gospel and, and making disciples. They've lost sight of their mission. And um, it's not that we don't need to be dealing with these issues and concerns, but he says, let's keep yourself focused in prayer, and that'll keep you focused on the mission. So he calls them to prayer. So he's talking to the whole church in verses 1 through 7, and then he zooms in, in the last verse we looked at, he speaks, I think, specifically to the men of the congregation. And this is that passage. Uh, he, he's calling men to um, lift up, holy hands in prayer <clears throat> without anger and disputing the fact that he says without anger and disputing leads you to believe that there was anger and disputing and how do you resolve anger and disputing one thing just just pray together and lift up holy hands in prayer and so we talked about that we talked about the purpose of lifting up hands in prayer and um and then I asked, we asked the question, is, is that to be interpreted figuratively if that's the way I could say it or literally and the reason I ask that um, is because in three verses, we're going to typically, from our tradition, insist that women do not speak because that's a literal interpretation of that. Three verses earlier, we say, no, no, it doesn't mean men should lift their hands. But listen, it's a command. The verb here is an imperative. And we're very serious about following biblical commands. This one we're not following because we say, okay, yes, I know it says men are supposed to be lifting their hands, but, but the principle there, the principle there is to be men of prayer that are getting along in, 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 in peaceful um, harmony with one another. We know it doesn't literally mean we have to be lifting our hands. We don't, we don't force a little interpretation there. We, we bring the principle out of that and maintain that. Isn't that true? We do. But we're not going to three verses later. And that doesn't seem consistent. As I shared with you before, we have in this passage a very inconsistent way of interpreting this. We're figurative with the men raising their hands. We're figurative with the women dressing. We're figurative, um, we're literal with the women being quiet. And then when uh, we go back to being figurative with the women being saved through childbearing, we know good and well that's not literal. But the one before it is. Why do we do it like that? So, we are now in verse 9. Okay? He's now going to talk to the women. He's talked to the church as a whole in the first few verses. He spoke to the men who weren't getting along. Now he says, I need to talk to the women in the church. 
And we're not at our silent passage yet, but I think it's good to look at this. He says in verse 9, I also want women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. So it's really clear. Another command. No braids, no gold, no pearls, no expensive clothes. So, is that clear? Let's move on. No, it's not. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Okay, now, remember, remember, this is where I'm going to get you to talk. Why is he saying this? You're supposed to ask that. He's saying this. Y'all aren't getting along. You're fighting, quarreling. Let's be peaceful people. Let's pray. Let's stay focused on our mission. Men, you need to be praying. And this will help create a peaceful and quiet relationships without fighting and disputing. Women, you need to dress like this. What does women's dress have to do? Oh, I left out of something. I left out something. You'll have to remember it from two weeks ago. What does women's dress, how they dress have to do with anything here it's is it kind of like he's talking about this and oh by the way this has got nothing to do with it let me just say this okay now back to this or is he on theme what does women's dress how they dress how does it fit into this theme of you guys need to get along we need to be peaceful and not divisive and not quarreling and not arrogant what does women's dress and this instruction here, how does it fit into that flow of thought? How does it fit into the context? What do you think? And I, and I left out a hint earlier, but I talked about it two or three weeks, two weeks ago, so you remember it well. Or can you guess? Richard? Right. Okay. So you're saying those that were part of the temple of Artemis and they were they had a certain dress style and the those women who had converted were bringing that dress style into the church. He's saying you need to dress in a way that shows a distinction between them and you. Okay. Any other thoughts, Danny? Over in First Peter three, of verse three and four. Yep. It says your beauty should not come from outward adornments such as elaborate hairstyles and wearing gold jewelry clothes. Rather, you should that word quiet is it that word quiet is hesuhia the same word earlier in first timothy 2 it says don't speak there it doesn't mean don't speak does it it means about their character peaceful he's not saying women don't speak he's saying women carry yourself in the way that you dress um, but but what's, what's the point there? Don't be a... Because that, that's a parallel passage. You're just straight out of my notes. It's a parallel passage. The same point is 
the, he says, your, 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 your attraction and your beauty, it needs not come from these things, but it's from your heart, a peaceful and quiet spirit. Right? Yeah, very, very good passage to, to, to bring in there. Um, any other thoughts? What's, why, why is he talking about clothes here? So he's telling the women, maybe there's some women who are trying to show themselves attractive and, and good looking based upon where they dress, but they weren't behaving in a character that was appropriate. We know their women weren't behaving in an appropriate character. Any other thoughts? Yes. Yeah, and how do you, what makes you think that? See, that's the part, Jeanette, that I left out when I was giving you the summary of the whole book. I forgot the part in chapter 6 where there was, this, there was this movement or this philosophy that, that wealth was a sign of godliness. And there was an attention. You notice it in chapter 6 because he corrects it that there was, there was a, a flaunting of themselves and an arrogance and evidently, it was promoted in the way that they dressed um, that was creating disunity and it was creating an arrogant spirit um, among some of the women. There's nothing wrong with braids. I, I, I read it. Was there something in the first century culture that only prostitutes wore braids or this is only the Artemis worshippers wore braids? No, it was just that was a, a way to show extreme beauty. The braids were a big deal, evidently, in, in the first century. Um, so are, are we to, are we to, I'm just going to turn this off. Somebody is, is relentlessly calling me. Well, I'll probably answer it. It's like bugging me. It's hard for me to pay attention when this thing's going like this in my pocket. So I'll do like that. Let's see, I do this button, this button, this button. While he's calling, I can't hang up. <laughs> oh, well, I'm sorry. I thought I had this thing turned off. Tony Brizendine just texted me and said, keep preaching. Is, are, we, are we live streaming? Huh. I wonder how he's hearing this. Um, or maybe he just listened to my sermon from Sunday. I don't know. Um, okay, so, so part of the problem in the church, there were some show-off women, not godly, but promoting themselves as godly because wealth shows godliness and the way they dressed um, promoted that. And the truth is they were not godly. They were slanderers. They were backbiters. They were gossip. They were causing trouble and division in the church. He says, what you really need to be focused on is not your dress. Your hearts are in the wrong place. You need to really work on your character. Now, let me ask you something. Again, like with the lifting of hands, are we to interpret this literally or figuratively? Are we to interpret this as a command that we must follow for women dress? And I guess you understand why I'm, why I'm asking that. Or do you? anything whether it's dress or talk or walk that draws attention to ourselves in an ungodly manner then yeah this would apply to us now too so. okay but does does 
braided hair, no braided hair apply, or does there, is there a principle? It says no braided hair. There's, there's a principle because, I mean... I agree. Because, I mean, I could come in with a braided hair... You could have two women come in with braided hair, and one is braided in a way that draws attention mm -hmm. to her, and that's what you're fixated on, and mine could just be, you know. So could I say it's not, it's not what, but it's, it's the how yes. and the why behind it. Okay, you, you understand my point. In the next verse, we're going to say literal silence, but here we're going to say no, 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 not literal, no braids, not literally no pearls or gold. We're not going to stand at the door and police that. What it means is there's a principle of true beauty and true character shown by your heart, by peaceful and quiet spirit. That, that's, that's what God is calling women to. As a matter of fact, in that passage that Danny read, it's also in the larger context of a submissive spirit. And that's our context here in 1 Timothy 2. Um, as well, so you understand, okay, so we've got some women, they're causing trouble by the way they dress, we don't literally insist on application to ourselves today that we have to dress like that, but we do insist on that principle that carries over, okay? So, we'll move on. Any questions or comments about how women should dress at church? Gentlemen. <laughs> so now... We, we get to the passage, I think we've been responsible instead of jumping straight to it. We've built the context, we've walked into it. We get to our passage of concern uh, and question. And so what I want you to notice as we read it, there's going, to be, there's going to be four things we're looking for. First of all, he's going to say, here's a problem. Okay, so let's, and it's not going to be complicated, I don't think. Here's the problem. Here's the solution. So we've got to find the problem. We've got to find the solution. And the hardest part is, is his basis for the solution. This is what I want you to do because of these two things. Okay? And then the hard part also is, now that we understand the problem, the solution he gives to these women and the basis for that, here, what, what is, how is that relevant to us? Okay? So let's read chapter 2 verses 11 and 12 to identify the problem a woman should learn in so you just talked about their dress right now let's keep on talking to the women a woman should learn in quietness and full submission i do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man she must be silent now i could also translate that peaceful settle down or, or quiet or have a peaceful spirit i could translate that any of those ways now, one little note before I ask you what's the problem, which I think is quite obvious. I don't know if it matters or not, but it is interesting when you look at plural, singular, plural. He's speaking to women in verse 9 about their dress. It's plural. He speaks to, he uses singular woman in verse 11 and 12, and then in verse 13 or 15, he moves back to plural. Some have concluded or interpreted this to mean he was talking to women in general, but there was one woman in the church he was really getting after. I'm not sure that's true or not. I don't really know if I believe that. But he does say, a woman. And everybody's going, oh yeah, we know which woman he's talking about too. Uh, One version it does say a woman, but in 
The other version in that same verse, it says remain. That's interesting. I'm about 98% sure in the original text it's going to be singular there for whatever reason. But what, what, what is the one that translates it? What kind of version is that? The one that translates it says women in all of it is the New Living Translation. New Living. Okay, that's one of those liberal. Do you remember? <laughs> do you remember? Do you remember when the Living Bible first came out in the 70s? First of all, it was wrong because it had that green, cushy, like, that can't be right. That was like of the devil. I just always remember that it was not the King James. And so the word living, I'm sorry, cat, please shut that down. <laughs> okay, what's the, what's the problem with women in the church? Their dress? Their dress was a problem. We, had, we looked at that. But now there is a secondary problem that he's, that he's addressing. What was it? What were they doing? That's not a trick question, okay? It's like, I don't want to answer it because he's going to say, no, that's stupid. That's got nothing to do with it. Okay, look at that's interesting. You went, to, you went to the larger piece there, which I, I'm glad you did that. They were not respecting authority. Now, how did you get that out of that? Yeah. The dressing and everything. He talks about them learning in quietness and having a quiet spirit instead of here I am. Yeah. There was a lack of submission. There was there, there was a, there was an arrogance. There was a pride. They lacked uh, they lacked humility. And I mean, how can you miss that when he says in verse eleven, full submission, or to have authority over a man. And then in the flow of thought in chapter 3, he's going to establish male leadership in the church. Evidently, that was being disregarded by these bossy women <laughs> in the church. Um, so, they were dis- how were they disrespecting? How, how were they doing that? So, there, there were women um, that were teaching. Well, I just said it. I shouldn't have said that. I asked you a question, then I answered it. Because I looked down at my notes. So, Okay, well, I've already given it away which you already knew the answer to. There were women that were teaching in some way that was creating the stir and the controversy, and it was doing it in two ways. It was a disrespect and a disregard for um, authority. It was in a proud and arrogant and flamboyant, bossy, domineering way. Um, Yeah, Jeff. Yeah, so this is what Richard Richard brought up, and it's very true in the city of Ephesus. I think in the book of Acts, you're talking about when Paul was in Ephesus, and they were building these little statues to or silver or whatever things to the goddess of Artemis, and and Paul and his colleague, who was his colleague there? Well, that would have been Silas, maybe or Timothy. They were hurting business. <laughs> they were hurting the, the idolatry business. And so, so you both brought that up. And so this is what you look at the historical context. In the city of Ephesus was this gorgeous, huge, could be seen from, from far away, um, statued to, to Artemis, or in the Romans would call her Diana. Big statue. She was the goddess. She was the, the mother of that area, um, mother of the region, and it dominated um, the city of Ephesus in that region, and her 
priestesses served in the temple. And so these women had a dominant role in the worship and the practice uh, in, this, in this temple and, and because the goddess was, was, was Artemis, a female. And so you convert some of these people and they bring some of that possibly some of that baggage into the church it's hard so some perhaps some of their dress and perhaps some of the female domineering disregarding disrespecting the authority of others do you remember especially the the male leadership in the church do you remember in first corinthians 11 that was the problem in the church in corinth not that women were speaking but they didn't have the head covering which was a a way of regarding and respecting this divine order that God has established. We saw that in First Corinthians. That was the problem there. It wasn't that they were speaking, but it was the character in which they were carrying themselves and the way in which they were here prophesying. Um, so it's, it's kind of like a very similar thing to, um, to First Corinthians 11. So one of the problems with these women in their teaching And their speaking wasn't that they were speaking. That's not the problem. But it's the way they were carrying themselves in an unsubmissive, bossy, domineering, disregarding authority type of personality. Um, Does he see a hand? Okay, go. Of course I do. What's the question? Would you say? Oh, that's interesting. I didn't that. I, that I don't remember. I'm. And it's a negative term, and it refers to assumption and abuse of authority. Uh huh. So that's almost similar to the quietness because it's about an abusive. Yeah. Yeah. Not don't speak, but if you're going to carry yourself. In, mm-hmm. Good question. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So a woman can have a role of authority, perhaps. Could it? Could, we're asking. We're asking. It's good. Good to throw out questions, but but is it possible? How could she do that without abusing it as these women were? Is that what you're asking? Uh-huh. Yeah. Good good question. Mhm. Cuz we do have in this church many female ministry leaders that do not com- come across to me as 
usurping authority or bossy or domineering. And so maybe there's a different way to understand that word authority, but here evidently there were abuses. So oh, kind of like Kat was saying, one comes in with braids, it's okay. The other one comes in with braids, it's not. One serves in the ministry and she's doing it properly. The other one, this is, this is her stage and, and her, you know, bossy role or whatever. Keith? Well, that's a great question. Did, did everybody hear that? Yeah. Sorry? He said, he said, I do not permit a woman. So here, is this Paul speaking with some type of apostolic authority? Or is this God speaking? Well, if Paul's speaking with apostolic authority, that's an authority given to him by God. And he's inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so I do believe in apostolic authority in the first century church. I believe they had a role of authority. Right, but is he making a new law? Is he making a new law? Or are we under law? Okay, so that's a whole nother... I, I know it is. Yeah. I would think so too, yeah. Yes, that's where we usually go. And says, okay, now this is a new law. I'm just getting closer so the microphone will pick you up. Right. I don't, I don't, I don't think he's, he's putting out a law unto salvation. It's just guidelines given to a church in order for the church to function with health. And I think he's dealing with one problem here specifically. And that's the problem here at Ephesus that he's trying to straighten out. Yep, agreed. Yeah, that, that's when you, do, you did your homework by that. Yes, Jeff. Uh, just, just a commentary from, uh, from another uh, source. David Gusick said, uh, someone said the reason that all this is happening is because of ancient cultures, as well as in present-day cultures, men and women sat in separate sections in the assembly. The thought is that women interrupted the church service by telling
Africa, and I think the Native people came close, and even in Guatemala. The men sat on one side, and the women sat on the other side. So you can imagine this happening, and somebody's wife saying, what did he say? And that's highly likely what we looked at when we looked in 1 Corinthians 14, when he says, ask questions at home, because they... They were distracting and disrupting the service because they weren't seated together. That's most likely the case, yeah. So I can see where he says, I don't want women, or I do not give women the authority in the services to sit there and take over the service. Yeah, I just see, yeah, I see Paul speaking strongly, not to say women don't speak at church, but just saying, this behavior needs to stop. This needs to stop. And if you, and so in, in, in a, in, if there's an unsubmissive, prideful, arrogant, character yeah be quiet be submissive be so that's the first problem but the second problem that's not directly in this context i think it the problem with these women where they needed to be quiet and settle down and maybe even not speak is first chapter and fifth chapter there were problematic women we already saw that who were gossips they were busybodies they were teaching things they had no clue about what they were saying they need to be quiet that needs to stop there were women doing that so i, I don't think I think he's addressing them here. He's, he's saying, here's the problem, chapter 5. Here's the problem, chapter 1, which I believe includes women. And here he's speaking to these women. So I guess the solu- that's the problem. Um, the solution is she must be quiet. Um, I don't believe that means never allowed to speak in the assembly. I don't think that's the point. Uh, but not to speak in ways that were disregarding the established authority in the church and not to speak in ways that are spreading heresy and slander and false teaching that was causing quarreling and controversy and division in the church. In those cases, that needs to stop. You need to be quiet. I don't permit that. Um, see, same thing in 1 Corinthians 11. My, my understanding is this isn't, isn't that they were speaking, but it was how they were doing it and in here what they were saying you need to stop saying that <laughs> you need to stop saying that like that um, I believe be silent here is addressing the attitude and character of these women and that's been the context all the way up to this verse so far about the dress of women and about the prayers of men about their, con- their character and their behavior so why are we switching context now? I believe it's, it's um, that's what it's saying. So now here's the question. What's the basis of that? Okay, so we got these problematic women who were carrying themselves in this way. That needs to stop. They need to be quiet, peaceful, settle down, and just don't even say anything if it's going to be a bossy, domineering way, unsubmissive, or it's going to be slander. And the reason, the reason you, the reason, the basis for this, my, my, my whole point for this is this. And this is where he gets into the basis. I think he makes two points to support this solution. First of all, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. Okay, we've got these problematic women. They need to be quiet and have a peaceful spirits because don't you remember Adam was created first. Eve was the one that was deceived first of all. And secondly, women are going to be saved through childbearing. That's why this needs to happen. That's his basis. 
Now that's complicated, I think. Let's look at both of those. We've got time. This is really working out well for the time. Adam was formed first. How is that the basis for what he just gave them instructions for? What's his point with that? And this is difficult. So if you, if you wrestle with this, and, and I, honestly, there are multiple possibilities that I've read. And then Richard shared with me a couple as well that I brought. What do you think? I've got some really good Bible students in here. The reason it should be like this with the women in the church, because Adam was formed first, and Eve was one deceived by the devil. What do you do with that one? Yeah, it's almost almost like gets him off the hook, doesn't it? Yeah. So Fran has trouble with the fact that Eve was the one that deceived poor Adam. He just, he just, uh, yeah, don't, don't, don't. <laughs> which, which is worse, being deceived or just being kind of a buffoon, buffoon. He went along. Yeah. But I think you're onto something. Okay, so you so in, in a very soft, gentle, and quiet spirit, just as the Bible teaches. <laughs> some of us heard what Sharon said. It was, um, could this have something to do with and this this word kind of uh, hierarchy? But there's kind of like this order of authority and you started defining that order and you were pulling out of 1 Corinthians 11 I think you were whether you knew it or not there's Christ is the head of man You've got the Father is the head of Christ Christ is the head of man man is the head of women woman and then the angels are in there somewhere he tosses them in later so that's in 1 Corinthians 11 that's the basis for the way women should carry themselves in the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 11 could it be that when he says Adam was created first then Eve is that as a reference to this divine order could that be it it's likely some will suggest yes um so that's one possibility. Uh, and and um, it's not about competency or equality. It's just it's the divine order of authority. And we know this. Women were abusing it. And is the creation order reflecting that? It is interesting. Take note of this so I don't forget it. Those who will say these arguments are not relevant to this today. They only pertain to the culture in the city of Ephesus in the first century. And if that's true, why does Paul say, I want to make my point all the way back here at the creation. This was a cultural principle that was established here that's carried on way into the first century. So I don't think that's really a valid argument. Richard had a... Right, that's it. Right. 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 
Yeah, that's very likely also a possibility that he was correcting a false teaching that likely came out of the temple of Artemis that you got this female goddess and the idea was women were created because women are domineering and greater in authority. Men came from women and Paul says, no, 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 no. This baggage you're bringing in, you've even got the order backwards. So it could be correcting that, you're right. He could be referring to this divine order established when Adam was created first and Eve. We know that 1 Corinthians 11, that is a valid point that he appeals to. Um, any, other, any other speculation on that? I'll just see what else I have here. Or you may have. Oh yeah, about being deceived. Is it that... Um, Women shouldn't teach because they're more susceptible to being deceived than men. <laughs> Fran would say no. <laughs> and I would say no also. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, actually, that was more blatant and willful. Good point. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, let, let me give you another thought that, that I, um, I don't know if this is mine or if I find it from someone else. It's my notes. And, um, Eve was deceived. Eve, Eve, Eve was created second. She was deceived. She was undeceived by Satan. Okay, so where else in the context of First Timothy do we see that? Later on in chapter 5 we saw these widows who were stirring up trouble, who were slandering who were teaching things they shouldn't teach and saying things they shouldn't say and causing controversy and division in the church and it says they were playing into the hands of Satan it's, um, how, does, how is it worded? How is it worded here? Verse 15, some have in fact already turned away to follow Satan. They had been deceived and had become instruments of Satan and leaving, uh, leading others astray. And that's exactly what happened in the garden. Eden had become tempted and led astray by Satan and she was now leading others astray. And so could it be, could it be um, um, a comparison this situation here is similar to Eve. Just as Eve was deceived by the devil and doing so led Adam astray, so also there were women being deceived and leading others astray, hurting others who were actually instruments of Satan. They were. We know that. And so Satan was influencing Eve who led Adam astray. There were women in the church in Ephesus and demonic spirits of Satan were influencing them and in turn they were leading others astray. He said, that's the same thing happening here. So that's another speculative point there. Uh, I kind of lean towards there's a divine authority that was established in creation. We need to respect that. That's where I lean towards. I don't know though. And it's okay because it doesn't say clearly. And I also lean to this idea that as Satan was deceiving Eve and she led Adam astray, so also the same thing is happening here in the church in Ephesus. Likely, Danny? That's right. Yeah. Yep. So it's exact. What's happening in the Garden of Eden? What happened in the Garden is happening in our church right now. He's saying, 
Yeah. Okay, and then the other reason why women need to behave in this way is because let's, women will be saved through childbearing. The, let's, let's figure that one out and then we're done. Uh, but women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. What does that mean? Benita knows. That was a good strong hand raise there. Even a greater probability back in those days. Uh, Richard, Richard had a comment that he came upon. In 1 Corinthians 3.15, it describes man being, this is what he emailed to me, man being saved, passing through the fire, which is his trial, his hindrance in his way, so he escapes. So she shall be saved through, as passing through, her childbearing, which is her trial, her curse, her hindrance in the way of it. 1 Timothy 2.15 says women will be saved through childbearing, not saved like being saved by grace, but an instrument of salvation, but by a trial. They're saved through a tr the trial of childbearing. That's, a, I think, a cut and paste you put in there. Any other speculation on what childbearing has to do with that? Yeah, right, right. Yeah, I think we've made the mistake. Well, I don't know if we have. Well, that's the funny thing. We've said, no, 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 it doesn't literally mean that. But it does a verse earlier about women not speaking. But here we're gonna we're gonna well, what it really means is. Any other ideas of that passage? I was just gonna see if anybody got yours. Childbearing, you mentioned it earlier. I don't know if you, it was in one of those comments where you said she's an instrument of um, an instrument of faith. I think, or something, is what is what you said. An instrument of salvation. An instrument of salvation, because I mean, it was through a woman that the Redeemer. Okay, so that that is another. It's not on this one, but I think it's in my notes. That's another thing. Women are saved through childbearing in the sense that Eve. And women eventually gave birth to Christ through whom salvation came to the world. That's an interpretation of that. That's an attempted interpretation. <laughs> like, like I said, there is, we can't be certain of this because he doesn't say, so that's okay. Um, any other thoughts on that? Uh, Richard gave me these. It says there were demons spreading false doctrine through busybody young women 
And they were teaching in chapter 4, you shouldn't marry and likely not to have children. And so to, to dispel this false teaching, you say, no, no, no. Women should marry, should uh, have children. Then number three, Richard found, while women could not be elders themselves, they can be the mothers who raise boys to become future elders who will lead the church. And so that's kind of like Eve giving birth to Christ who saved the world. Women are saved or find their place in the church life and story through bringing men into the church who can be elders. That's another thought um, that Richard shared with me. I think one thing, I don't know, these are just guesses, is like women should be women and men should be men. Women or men are different and that's okay. Uh, women don't come into the church trying to act like and dress like and be bossy like in some authoritative male thing. Women be women, men be men, and one of the things of women is just childbearing. Not that you have to be bear children to be saved, but... I think 1 Corinthians 11 is saying women behave like women, men behave like men. Men have hair and dress like men. Women have hair and dress like women. Let's not mix that up. I think he actually is saying that. And our culture probably could learn that today. Um, and then another thought, contextually speaking, is, because so I'm in 1, Corinthians, 1 Timothy 2, 7.31. Okay. Oh, I turned my phone off. So I'm going to do this in two minutes or less. I think, I got, I think I'm two or three minutes behind that one. So I got this passage in 1 Timothy 2. It talks about women and childbearing. Well, where else in 1 Timothy does it talk about women and childbearing? It actually does. In chapter 5, he says, okay, let's take care of our widows on the list. They need to have a certain type of character. And that character is involves childbearing. Chapter 5. No widow, verse 9, may be put on the list of widows unless she's over 60, has been faithful to her husband and is well known for her good deeds. What are those good deeds? Such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the sin. Does it mean she has to have had children? No, just that these are qualities and characteristics of a godly woman that should be on this list. Then he speaks of these widows, young widows who needed to get married because they were busybodies causing trouble. And he talks about childbearing again for them. Uh, he says in verse 13, they get into the habit of being idle and going about from house to house. Not only do they become idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying things they ought not to. That this is wrong. So what's his solution? Look what he says in verse 14. So I counsel younger widows to marry, to have children. There's the children. There's the barren children right there. To manage their homes and to give their enemy no opportunity for slander. The enemy is the devil. Some, in fact, have already turned away to following Satan. So in that interesting, it's talking about these problematic women and it's talking about childbearing is of being a way to keep them, get married and have children. Not that you have to, but this is a way to be saved from this work of Satan that has entrapped you and is using you because of your idle time. And so you will be saved through childbearing, meaning you will be saved from the trap and deception of Satan by eliminating idle time in your life through your role as a wife and a mother. Instead of being a busy body, be a busy wife and mom. Those are my thoughts on that. Um, so that's really clear. And next time somebody comes up to you and asks you what that means, you're ready now, right? <laughs> you can call me back and I'll, I'll send you that quote maybe. Um, just to close this then, um, 
I believe that 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 15, our primary passage of concern is that women should be peaceful and quiet in their conduct. And if in any way we are saying they should be silent in a more literal sense, it would be in three ways. Spreading slander and gossip. Yeah, they should be quiet. I mean, like, (laughs) false teaching, sure. Or in whatever way they might be disrespecting and disregarding their relational roles to men and man's role of authority in the church setting. In a general sense, I believe this passage, like it already has been leading up, is speaking of character, of being peaceful. Not saying, don't you ever speak in this room. It's not about that they were speaking, but how they were speaking and what they were saying. Um, So... So I think at this point, we, 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 we didn't answer one question. I think we've kind of, to some degree, I don't know how, how satisfied you are, we unpacked this passage and we came to what I believe to be a better understanding of it. The last question we didn't answer, <clears throat> it was, well, how is this relevant and applicable here at Eastside? We didn't answer that. And... Um, it's 7.33. So what we're going to do next week, if Alan will permit me to have one more Wednesday, and I'm guessing he will, um, we're going to take these three passages. I'm going to get a brief summary of what we learned from each of them, and then we're going to talk about, okay, how does that play out here at Eastside? Okay? But I enjoy this. I enjoy just digging through Scripture and talking about it. So it's very enjoyable. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for, um, as Keith was reading earlier, even though those, that passage of all scriptures God breathed is referring to the Old Testament passages, we now, under the New Covenant, believe that these words that were written to us were written to us also as God-breathed words given to us by the apostles and prophets in the New Testament, uh, in the new, under the New Covenant. So we thank you for the nourishment, just, the, just reading scripture and talking about it and how much of a nourishing thing it is for us. But Father, we also thank you for the instruction you give us that you desire for us not to be a people who are fighting and quarreling and bickering and getting sidetracked into issues that are taking us away from the mission you've called us to. And I pray that you will lead us to truly be a people, people that are a peaceful, loving people focused on, on what you've called us to be in this church at Eastside. And help us now to take these three passages we've looked at and figure out and talk and discuss how do they have relevant application to us in our church family. We ask for your guidance as you were seeking to guide uh, Timothy in the church in Ephesus. We ask that you would illuminate... Um, us in knowing how best to apply this here in Jesus name amen well thank y'all we'll we'll do this final one next week hey I'm Eddie White the senior minister for the Eastside Church of Christ sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.